Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're in a series right now called The Unstuck Life. According to the Bible, some people are stuck because they only believe part of the gospel message. Others never learn to connect to God's power in their lives. And some people figure out the receiving part, but not the sharing. We're convinced that the path to the unstuck life is believe, connect, share. And we hope that God leads you along that path as we look at the Bible together. Today's message looks at the acceptance of God and what it means to believe in the gospel. But in the process, we learn something about ourselves as well. And consider the following study. Dan Ariely is a researcher who wanted to better understand honesty. And so he went to college campuses and offered to pay students for each math question they were able to correctly answer in five minutes. The students were allowed to grade their own papers, self-report the number of correct answers, collect their money, and then shred the papers so that no one could actually see what they had done. The trick in the experiment was that the shredders didn't actually shred the papers. <laughs> So the researchers were able to compare the reported test scores with the actual ones. What they found was fascinating. After testing 30,000 people, they only found 12 big cheaters who stole a combined total of just $150. But there were 18,000 small cheaters who stole an a total of 36,000. On average, students reported having solved six problems, when in reality, they only solved four. Ariely concluded that most dishonesty happens among ordinary people who think of themselves as basically honest. Ironically, while I believe his conclusion, I don't have complete confidence in the study itself, because Ariely has himself been accused of falsifying data in at least one of his studies and that resulted in him withdrawing a published journal article. I share the results of that study because I feel it helps us to see humanity more clearly than we often do. We tend to think in terms of good people and bad people, but maybe it's more accurate for us to think of small cheaters and big cheaters. And I think we go through much of life thinking that the papers are shredded. There may be times when our more sinister side is exposed, but for the most part, we're able to keep our cheating to an acceptable level, and nobody seems to notice. What if the papers aren't shredded, though? What if God, in fact, sees everything, and he's got a binder somewhere with all of our papers stored? How will we ever be accepted? And how will we ever stop cheating if we've managed to convince ourselves that it's not that bad because we're not one of the big cheaters? Jesus told a story that helps us answer these questions. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. If you don't have a Bible, just click on the link for today's passage in the description below. Now, rather than reading the entire passage at once, I'm going to walk you through it one verse at a time so you can hear it as Jesus would have told it. I'll start in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now, you might read that and assume that Jesus told this story to people that you can't relate to. He says that they trusted in themselves that they were righteous, but we don't usually talk about people being righteous anymore. We tend to use 
that word sarcastically for someone who's self-righteous. When you see that person on your newsfeed who's promoting a new cause every day, you might mutter under your breath, well, aren't, aren't they righteous? But the word here isn't being used ironically. It just means acceptable. Jesus was speaking to the people who thought they were pretty good people. And you think you're a pretty good person, don't you? Jesus also addressed the story to people who treated others with contempt. But I think you might be able to relate to that descriptor as well. Have you ever wondered why there are so many bad drivers on the road? Do you wish that other people wouldn't be so proud on social media? Do you get frustrated that people gossip at work? <laughs> then maybe Jesus was addressing this parable to you after all. And me too. Jesus sets the scene in verse 10. Follow along with me. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, if you've been reading the Bible for a long time, you can actually misunderstand this story because you may be tempted to think Pharisee equals hypocrite. Tax collector is a friend of Jesus. But no one would have heard that introduction in the first century in that way. When Jesus talks about a Pharisee and a tax collector going to the temple to pray, people would have started to chuckle. It's like me starting a story with, did you hear the one about Mother Teresa and Osama bin Laden at the prayer meeting? Or let me tell you one about the Sunday school teacher and the Hells Angels gang member. The two people in Jesus' story are being used as symbols of the morally best and the morally worst of society. Jesus starts with the Mother Teresa figure, the Pharisee. Watch what he says about him in verses 11 and 12. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. This Pharisee's as morally impressive as you might have guessed. He's not into extortion, injustice, or adultery. He's prudent with his finances, he's a man of integrity, and he's faithful to his wife and children. And unlike the tax collector, he doesn't earn his living by betraying his people. He not only keeps God's commandments, he goes beyond them. Jews were expected to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement. This Pharisee fasted twice a week. And if the picture couldn't be any more complete, we learn that he's also a faithful tither. So he gives God the first 10% of all his increase. He seems like the kind of person our world needs more of, right? Praise the Lord. What about the other guy though? What's a biker gang member gonna have to say to God? Follow along in verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Notice how he stands far away, serves him right. You can just see how guilty he is, can't you? He won't even look up to heaven to pray. Now, people didn't bow their heads to pray back then typically. They would open up their hands and look up into the sky as they talked to God. But the tax collector's too ashamed to do that, and rightly so. Did you hear his prayer? 
God be merciful to me. Have you ever heard such nonsense? Does he really think that he can just ask God forgiveness after the way he's lived? Now, are you ready for this, for the, the zinger in this story? Stories like this were told in the first century to build up to a punchline. And I'm ready to hear Jesus unload on this tax collector now, aren't you? Let's hear Jesus give him a little fire and brimstone to set him straight. He needs a little tough love, doesn't he? I'll read verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Wait, what? The gang member is the one who is going to be accepted by God? The Sunday school teacher is going to hell? The person who works hard to lift themselves up gets shoved back down? And the person who gets down and grovels is lifted up? What kind of story is this? What kind of morality is Jesus promoting anyway? And what's Jesus trying to say to us? Let's go back and take a closer look. Let's start with the Mother Teresa type. Look at the Pharisee pray. It says that he's standing by himself. Now, we know that the tax collector is standing far off. So the implication is the Pharisee has made his way to the front of the line. <laughs> he's managed to get in front of all the other people because, frankly, he figures he deserved to stand closer to God. When he prays, it's not really a prayer. It's more like he's making an acceptance speech for a good citizenship award. He thanks God that he's not like other men. But obviously he is. He thinks he's a 9 or a 10. But God sees the sheet. It was never shredded. He's more like a 4 or a 5. What kind of person boasts before a holy God? What kind of person turns and criticizes someone standing nearby right in the middle of his prayer? And why does he go to the temple at all? He never asks God for a single thing. He thinks he's got it pretty much figured out on his own. He's just making an appearance. God should be lucky to have him on the team. But Jesus warns that he won't be justified. He won't be accepted by God. He puffed himself up and God will burst the bubble of his pride. He exalted himself and God will bring him back down to earth. He assumes he's heading to heaven, and the message is he's headed for hell. People who expect a reward will be disqualified. People who think that God's going to pat them on the back for their moral achievements will find themselves disappointed. They'll face God's rejection, even though they thought they'd earned his acceptance. People who expect a reward will be disqualified. Now, do you know what you and I are tempted to say when we finally get the point of Jesus' story about the Pharisee? Thank God I'm not like this Pharisee. <laughs> Have you heard yourself saying that? Thank you, Lord, that I don't drown on with self-righteous prayers. Thank you that I never claimed to be a 9 or a 10. I never said I was more than anything than a solid 7 or an 8. Are you hearing any of that? God never shredded the sheets. So he knows your actual score. So try to be as honest with your own heart as you possibly can be. For all your talk about Jesus, 
Is your faith actually in yourself? Do you think that you're good enough for God? Do you think that he accepts you because of what you've done? Do you think that you should get into heaven as a reward for good behavior? The way that most people get to this place is the same way that the Pharisee did. They get there with a list. The Pharisee had a list of crimes he wasn't guilty of and a few moral achievements that he had accomplished. You probably have a different list, but you do have a list, right? You can go to a list of vices you've avoided and moral choices you've made. The Apostle Paul had a long list like that. And you know what he did with it? When he met Jesus, he threw his list in the garbage. In Philippians 3, 7, he said, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He threw out the list. He threw it out because, first of all, it wasn't God's list. And second of all, it made him spiritually proud and let him ignore the sins that had disqualified, disqualified him before a holy God. Now, would you do a little exercise with me? Wherever you are, don't worry if people think you're being a little weird, but I want you to take your right hand, and if you can, stretch it over your shoulder like this. Now, pat yourself on the back. While you continue to do that, I'd like you to reach out toward God and, and call on him for his mercy. So try to read. Now, I can already see that some of you are cheating. The point of the exercise, obviously, is you can't do both. You can't look at your list and congratulate yourself for your spiritual accomplishments and also look to God for his mercy. One of the Olympic events I watched this year was the long jump. Those athletes are incredible. I get tired just watching the speed of their run. But when they take off, it's like every part of their body is launched into this maneuver designed to maximize their distance. It's like they're able to fly, and they do. The top competitors jump almost seven meters. But after every jump, the cam camera always does this close-up of their foot at the takeoff. And if they step over the white line, they're disqualified regardless of how far they jumped. According to the Bible, we've all stepped over that line. And the unshredded sheets say that we've done it time and time again. That's why congratulating ourselves on how far we've jumped is so dangerous. Based on our jumps, we're all disqualified. So we should be desperate for the mercy of God. And that's what's so disturbing about the Pharisee's prayer. While it says that he prayed, he didn't actually ask God for anything. He told him some things, but he didn't really feel as if he needed anything. And again, I have to ask, is that you? When you think of God, do you see your need for mercy? Do you see your need for his grace? Or do you just ask him for stuff that you think you deserve because you're such a valuable member of the team? People who expect a reward will be disqualified. If that's you, realize how serious this is. So what are we supposed to learn from the gang member? Why did he go home justified? Let's look at him again in verse 13. For 
A tax collector to go to the temple would be to endure ridicule and scorn. If a tax collector made an offering, it was often rejected because they assumed the money was dirty. If a tax collector entered a house, everything would be considered unclean. It's like he's wandering around with a spiritual version of the Delta variant, and nobody wants him near them. He stands far off when he prays because he feels the weight of his sins and how holy God is by contrast. He beats his chest as an expression of remorse. It's not just shame that he's feeling, but repentance. He regrets his sins and knows how they've grieved the heart of God. And that's an important detail that's often missed. It's not like God just likes immoral people who sin all the time. It's not that he just rejects our attempts to do better and to live better. Those are good things. But if we keep jumping with our foot over the line, then it's our willingness to admit that and deal with it that matters most, not our continued denials and pride over the length of our jump. When the tax collector prays, he actually prays. He understands how much he needs God, not just for God to heal him or give him a better job or a nicer life. He understands that he's a sinner and he needs forgiveness. He knows that he's disqualified. And so his only hope is the mercy of God. The fact is that the, mercy, the Pharisee needs that mercy as well, but he won't admit it. Because he's only a small cheater, he figures he doesn't need it. But if we're all disqualified because we've all stepped over the line, then the point isn't how far we've jumped. If God hasn't shredded the sheets, then it doesn't matter so much whether we're big cheaters or little cheaters. What matters is that we admit our sin, turn from it, and seek the mercy of God. And the hope that Jesus offers us is that people who pursue God's forgiveness will find it. Those who seek his mercy will receive it. But just as our tendency is to look at the pride of the Pharisee and say, I'm glad I'm not like him, <laughs> we're also tempted to look at the humility of the tax collector and say, that's me. But is it? Have you truly come to terms with your sin? Or are you more like, hey, nobody's perfect. Have you had enough of your sin? Or do you fight to hold on to it? Have you turned to God in repentance? Or are you still living like you shredded your test scores? Have you sought the mercy of God for yourself? Or do you just presume he'll be merciful to everyone? If you want the assurance of God's acceptance that Jesus held out to the tax collector, then turn to God this morning the way he did. Recognize your sin plainly before him. You know the ways that you've stepped across the line in your actions, your words, and your thoughts. Don't relate to God as if he's shredded your score. He sees your heart, so confess your sins before him. Consider how holy he is and how you've resisted him. Admit that it's not a matter of God owing you anything. We deserve to be disqualified. That's what happens when we cross the line, regardless of how far we jump. But hear the promises of scripture and turn to God for the mercy he freely gives. Now we like to think that there'll be two kinds of people at the final judgment, the good people and the bad people. But that's not exactly how the Bible sees it. 
God just calls those people small cheaters and big cheaters, but they're all disqualified. So instead, at the final judgment, there are those who justify themselves and those whom God has justified. There will be Pharisees and Sunday school teachers who will be arguing they were good enough. And there'll be tax collectors and gang members, as well as Pharisees and Sunday school teachers, who are honest enough to, with their sin to realize they needed mercy, not awards. The old preachers like to say that to be justified is to be treated just as if I'd never sinned. But that's only half the picture, though. When God justifies us, he treats us as, as if we'd never sinned. But he also treats us as if we've perfectly obeyed him. And that's only possible because of the love of Jesus. In this incredible exchange, the guilt and shame of all of our sins was transferred to him on the cross. And all of Christ's righteousness was then credited to us. Jesus took the penalty that we deserved, but he also wrote the test that we had failed. To be justified by God is to have our sins covered by the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Hear the promise of God's forgiveness in Romans 4, 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. The good news of the gospel is that God's willing to forgive us for what we've done. He's willing to cover our sins. He's willing to not count our sins against us. But not when we keep justifying ourselves. Not when we deny that we've crossed the line. Not when we keep dragging out our list of accomplishments or telling him that we're good enough. Not when we keep acting like our own God, acting like our own Savior. You either justify yourself or you put your faith in Jesus and trust God to justify you. If you want to be justified by God, join me in this prayer now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that though you are a holy, righteous God who sees everything in our lives and sees into our very heart, even still, you call us in hope. We freely confess our sin before you. We've turned from you. We've tried to live like we were our own gods. We've resisted you. And we've tried to justify ourselves. We ask you now, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us as sinners because of Jesus' death on our behalf. We believe that he took our sins on the cross so that through faith in him, we could receive his righteousness. And we receive that righteousness as a gift even now. And we give ourselves to him. We declare Jesus is Lord. And we follow him. Lead us, guide us, for we ask you in Jesus' name, amen.
Now, I hope this message has helped you to understand what it means to believe in the gospel and the good news of the mercy of God held out in Christ to all who seek him. If it's raised questions or if you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.